Hey, welcome to the Engage Network podcast. We're so happy to have you join us today. Why don't we dive into another incredible, life-changing message? Well, we're going to jump into the Bible. We are actually in week six of a study through the book of Colossians. That's right. We're going verse by verse, line by line, all the way through the book of Colossians. And we're beginning to understand the complete picture of where it fits into the New Testament picture and the historical picture of Scripture. And I just want to let you know, in a couple of weeks, we're going to be releasing our podcast. And we're going to have every single message preached in this entire series available for you. Uh, because we've got multiple locations and multiple service times. And there's multiple camera angles on each and every one of these passages and we want to equip you with that and put it in your hand. Last week we did something fun. Across uh, all five of our primary service times we had different communicators in every service. We had four in the morning at 9, 10, 11, 12 and then we had three developing communicators at night. So we had seven speakers in five different services all looking different angles and it was a great day. So you're going to want to listen to that on the podcast. All right, welcome to everybody also who's watching online, especially those of you who slept in for daylight savings. Welcome. Uh, We're not here to bring condemnation on you. We're just saying... It's great to see you here at church, and uh, we're, we're so honored that you're joining us online. We're going to jump into Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2. We're going to look at verse 16, and what I've learned while uh, preaching these is that it's best to start with the miracle, the miracles that we're going to get through our entire selected text right off the start, uh, because when I go verse by verse, I never make it to the end. Let's jump in. Uh, it's Colossians 2, verse 16. So don't let anyone condemn you for what you eat or drink or for not celebrating certain holy days or new moon ceremonies or Sabbaths. For these rules are only shadows of the reality yet to come. And Christ himself is that reality. Don't let anyone condemn you by insisting on pious self-denial or the worship of angels, saying that they have had visions about these things. Their sinful minds have made them proud. Wow, gets better. And they are not connected to Christ, the head of the body, for he holds the whole body together with his joints and ligaments, and it grows as God nourishes it. You have died with Christ, and he has set you free from the spiritual powers of this world. So why do you keep following the rules of the world, such as don't handle, don't taste, don't touch? Such rules are mere human teachings about things that deteriorate as we use them. These rules may seem wise, but they require strong devotion, pious self-denial, and severe bodily discipline. Bet you didn't anticipate the words bodily discipline on a Sunday morning, but they provide no help in conquering a person's evil desires. Light reading on a daylight savings Sunday. When we were preparing this series, you know, carving up who is going to preach why, I said, guys, I think this one's mine. I think I have to take this section. As we are uh, looking at these sets of verses, uh, what stands out to me is that you could break up these two portions of scripture into two parts. That whole reading, you could break it into two parts. Part one, uh, we'll, we'll say, focuses on what I would term hyper-spirituality. And uh, when somebody is displaying this type of behavior, the type of feeling that you can get is that you feel guilty because you are not spiritual enough. 
You're not spiritual enough. That's part one. It's verses 16 to 19. The Apostle Paul is confronting that. And he's coming straight out and saying, listen, a lot of you have bought into things that you thought were taking you deeper, but were actually leading you away from Jesus. He, he comes straight out and he says, listen, people that start thinking that the, 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 the totality of Scripture is second to their dreams and their visions are actually disconnected from Christ. And are leading us away from him. In our search for depth, we actually hinder our connection to Christ, which is where we get our growth from. That's part one. Paul's coming out hard and he's saying, listen, this is not a place where people should feel condemned or feel guilty. This is a place where we find freedom in Jesus. And we do, not, we do not prescribe to a philosophy that says my idea or my revelation is higher than the words of Jesus. Now, I will also say this exact same portion of scripture has been used to scare people away from spiritual gifts. Because we say, oh, well, you know, it, how do we know that it's true? How do we know that it's right? How do we know that if you get a prophetic word or a word of knowledge that, that it's accurate? Well, all of those things are measured against the word of God. And they glorify and they exalt Jesus. So if it's contradictory to what Jesus would teach or say or contradictory to the word, then we know that it's not something that's from God. If it's something that lines up with scripture and with the word, then we know God is speaking, he's leading, he's talking, but it still comes in second place to the authority of Scripture. So that's part one is dealing with this, I don't feel spiritual enough, and a condemnation that starts to settle in because all these people experience all these things. Listen, God wants you to have a full and rich relationship with him, and each and every one of us has a different relationship with him. As unique as your fingerprints are is how unique your relationship is with Jesus. He talks to you in a different way. He knows how to use your personalities, things that you might count as quirks. He speaks to you in that way. He speaks to you deeply in that manner. You don't have to feel guilty or condemned because you don't get it the same way somebody else gets it. I remember being in high school and uh, we had a new young adult pastor come to our church and a whole bunch of Bible college students came along with him. And they were up there at the front during worship and they were like dancing and screaming and hollering. They used to have these whistles that they would blow, which was a terrible idea that somebody allowed whistles in church, like Fox 40 referee. It was just a bad idea all across the board. And they were fired up, but I remember going to my youth pastor at the time, who was actually Pastor Jeremy, one of our youth interns. And I said, listen, I don't feel like I love Jesus enough. I don't feel like I'm passionate. He says, why? Why would you not feel that? Well, because I don't do it like those guys. Those guys jump and holler and scream and they do all these things. And he said, no, please don't miss it. You don't have to become somebody else to be passionate. 
You just have to become the person that Jesus created you to be, and you have to give 100% of who you are. Now, I'm going to say this. I would suggest that most of us in a worship environment do not give 100% of who we are. We hold back a little bit. We hold back because there's a way that it should be or a way that we think it should be. We hold back because, well, if I go all the way there, then people are going to think I'm this hyper-spiritual person or people are going to think this. Well, let's put those things out of our minds. Let's worship Jesus with the fullness of our expression in our heart. With all that we are, let's be passionate worshipers, people who passionately pursue Jesus. And, and you can do that in your own way, shape, and form. But I can tell you that, that, that Jesus is worthy of everything that we've got. Now, you may have noticed that I'm maybe slightly expressive at the front. Not me. All right. We may have noticed. I don't anticipate that every person will worship in the same way that I do. But what I'm hoping is that as believers, we would passionately pursue Jesus with 100% of our capacity. And if you want to know what your capacity looks like, the level at which you cheer when the Oilers score is an indicator of your threshold. If you boo, you're apart from God. <laughs> Pastor Harmon, that's what happens. You know what flames signify. Anyways, <laughs> there's no condemnation here. You will come into the light. In part two, this back half of scripture, 20 to 23, you'll find that it's, it talks about our behavior. I feel guilty because I don't behave. And the apostle Paul is coming straight out and saying, listen, this is not a place where you're condemned for your behavior unless it involves cheering for the Calgary Flames. Just kidding. We don't condemn based on our behavior. See, Jesus didn't die on a cross so I could behave. He died on the cross so I could live. Jesus didn't die on the cross so I could live by a moral standard. He died so he could transform me from the inside out and I could become the fullest expression of who he created me to be. He didn't die so I could live up to a law. He came to fulfill the law so that there would be a new and life-giving way that I could boldly approach the throne of God. Jesus did not come so I could play it safe. He came so I could follow him one step at a time. And though it's not always safe, I know that I'm secure because the righteous arm of the Lord will carry me. Why don't we look at Colossians 1.17? It begins to unpack it. Colossians 1 Verse 17, he existed before anything else and he holds all creation together. Jesus literally holds me together and he's holding all of creation together. This is interesting when you uh, look at the word religion. Now, when we think of the word religion, sometimes, especially if you're in our circles, you might think, well, I'm not, I'm, I'm not a religious person at all. Well, the word religion actually comes from a Latin word. And it means to tie or bind together. That's what religion means, the word religion. There's nothing actually wrong with the idea of a religion. It's a good idea. It may not be a God idea, but there's nothing wrong with it. To tie or bind together. See, Jesus holds the whole world together. So I don't 
tie or bind myself to anything or anyone but Jesus. I don't tie or bind myself to anything or anyone but Jesus. That's it. It's simple. It's clear. It's concise. Romans 8 takes it one step further. He says there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. That we are liberated from a condemnation that sin no longer weighs. That although have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, but the price has been paid. So we don't wrestle with condemnation in the same way. In fact, if you're taking notes today, you could write these notes uh, as the title of your notes. I can see you're all doing it right now. Everyone together, it's amazing. If I could term this message anything, I would call it losing my religion. See, I'm losing my religion to discover a relationship with Jesus. I'm losing my religion to discover a relationship with Jesus. If we go back to the Old Testament in Isaiah chapter 29, in the 13th verse, you'll find an interesting description. And so the Lord says, these people say they are mine. They honor me with their lips but their hearts are far from me and their worship of me is nothing but man-made rules learned by rote. So we're losing our religion to find a relationship with Jesus. But the human condition is such that we deeply desire systems and structures. Now, I get it. I'm a systems and structures person myself. I love them. But what we have done over time is that we have distilled the freedom that we have found in Christ, uh, the living of a spirit-filled life, into a selection of formulas that we can roll out and put into action whenever we feel like it works for us. We take this book not as a relational tool, but we see it as a playbook for life. And we say, I will slap down this formula, say these three or four words, and then God will do when I want, how I want, if I want, because that's just what I think I should do with it. And the re honest reality of the situation is because of something that is called common grace, oftentimes we can put into practice scriptures and principles and they will work apart from Jesus. Let me give you an example. We could talk about tithing for a moment. The band Coldplay, uh, secular band, one of the biggest bands in the world, tithes. Now they don't give to a church, they give to charity. They give 10% of their total income as a band. And Chris Martin, the lead singer, does this because when he was a little boy, he grew up in the Anglican church with his mom. His mom said, Chris, if you give this away, God will always honor it and you will succeed in all you do. And in an interview, Chris said that when they stop and they drift away from their founding principle of giving 10%, their albums don't do as well, they don't sell as many records, and they don't have the type of global impact that they're used to. When they come back to 
a core principle like generosity and they put it into practice, they sell more albums, they reach more people, and they find more success. The principle is at work in the earth in functions with or without Jesus. Now, if you invite Jesus into that and you make it an expression of your worship and he leads you and he guides you and he puts his ruach breath upon it, all of a sudden, it takes on a whole new life. Not because it's a principle that I'm using to invoke success, but because I understand that it's a tool that Jesus is using to develop me from the inside out, to transform me from the inside out. I'm losing my religion to discover a relationship with Jesus. I think often about uh, Colossians 1.18. It says, so Jesus is first in everything. He's first in everything. And I'll be the first to admit that that's most likely true on a Sunday. But there's probably a few days of the week where that's not always true in my own life. And I won't put that on you. That's for me. But the most beautiful thing about this journey with Jesus is that I always have the opportunity to realign my heart to his. And when I take the time to do that through relationship, he's always gracious and merciful, and he always shows me something, and he teaches me something, and he helps me learn something. I mean, we can maybe put it this way. When we think about something as simple as Bible reading as a, as a way that we can connect to our Heavenly Father, I don't read my Bible to be better. That's not why I do it. I read my Bible to know him better. I've been trying to uh, limit my screen time you know, on my phone. Has anyone ever gotten one? Wow. <laughs> if that's not the justice of the Lord, I don't know what else <laughs> is. I've been trying to limit my screen time. Because, you know, I got the breakdown and showed me all the things that I do on my phone. I was like, wow, that's not good. And also my wife told me I should limit my screen time. <laughs> and one of, the, one of the tools I learned, I actually learned it from Pastor Levi Lesko in his book, I Declare War, is, uh, you know, you, there's a dopamine release that happens when you check for messages and likes and all those things on social media. And so one of the things he does in the morning is he will not do anything on his phone until he reads his Bible. And so you're using that dopamine release as a reward for being in God's word. And I use a daily reading plan on my phone. So the first thing I do beyond anything else is I get into God's word. And I connect with him. I do it when I want to. And I do it when I don't want to. And I do it when it feels good. And I do it when it doesn't feel good. And I do it on daylight savings day. Because Jesus is first in everything, including my alarm clock schedule. Now... That's my personal conviction. That's my personal conviction. What can happen 
is that when I start to superimpose my personal conviction on my friend or on my neighbor, it becomes their personal condemnation. Because Jesus spoke it to me. He didn't speak it to them. But I go and I take the things that was intended for my relationship and I start heaping it on somebody else and all of a sudden they're piled with a mile high of my personal conviction and now I'm weighing them down with condemnation mostly because I'm struggling with the things that the Lord said to me. And I thought the best way I could help them was let them know this thing that's working for me. But this is where that one-on-one relationship with Jesus becomes so essential. I understand that my relationship with him looks different than yours does. And the things that I struggle with are different than what you struggle with. Now, please hear me clearly. We subscribe to an orthodox interpretation of scripture. We, We believe the word of God. And there are some things that are absolute absolutes in scripture things that we can't get away from, things that that we wholeheartedly believe. I'm not talking about those things. I'm talking about that Netflix show that you started watching, that something inside of you is like, ah, I don't think that I should, this isn't gonna be good for me. But I don't go and I don't put that on Josh. I don't say, whoa, you can't watch this. You can't can't do this because that's God doing something in me. Because if it's not violating the word, then I'm just heaping condemnation on somebody else to make me feel better about myself. That's not freedom in Jesus. That's bondage. I mean, I guess we can invoke Matthew chapter 7. Why don't you take... Let's not focus on the speck in our neighbor's eye when we can take the log right out of our own. Because if we were to boil it all down... Jesus is most concerned about my heart. From the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The words, they're a symptom of what's going on in your heart. The action, a symptom of what's going on in your heart. The behavior, a symptom of what's going on in your heart. says to have faith in Jesus come play in this little sandbox this is it come play in this sandbox here's the specified size the type of sand and the toys that you can play with to have a relationship with Jesus he says come live with me in my garden and I will tend to the fruit of your heart. It's not about being in a small box and living confined and constrained. It's what the Apostle Paul says. He says this takes ridiculous self-discipline, piousness, and we think that if we're holy because of that. We're not holy because we deny ourselves. We're righteous because he's made us that way. Because of a new and life-giving way, we can boldly approach the throne of grace.
this gets messy and it gets complicated because as you're dealing with people who are new to faith in Jesus, like, well, they're, they got this and they're doing this and they're doing this and right. So who do we trust more in this situation? The rules or the Holy Spirit? Because we know that the work that Jesus has started, he's gonna bring it through to completion. And if we could lead people into a real life-giving relationship with Jesus, if we could get them connected to the source himself, our heavenly father who gives growth and who gives life and who gives breath, then we know that the Holy Spirit produces these kinds of results in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. The result of Jesus working in my life, the evidence that the Holy Spirit is present, Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. I don't make it happen. I walk with Jesus and he transforms me into the person that he created me to be. My friend, if you're here, if you are here today and you thought that all of this was about rules and responsibilities. Can I tell you? It's simply about having a relationship with Jesus. Being connected to the creator of the universe, the one who holds this universe together, who holds you together, and he will lead you and guide you into all truth as we dive into his word as relational mechanism to draw near to him. He will craft and create my heart to look more and more like his each and every day. My heart will begin to break for the things that break his. I will begin to love the very things that he loves. And I will leave aside the things which have ensnared me and trapped me. And through the power of Jesus, the chains are broken over the addictions and the things that have held me back. Because hope and life is found in Jesus. We're used to, I have to perform to be loved, but this is what the word says. It says that real love, real love looks like not that we love God, but that he loved us and he sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. First John 4. Real love is not that we loved him first because we couldn't even quantify love without God. He is the definition and the embodiment of love. This is real love that he loved us. Romans says, while we were still enemies at just the right time, while we were utterly helpless, Jesus Christ, Christ came that we might have life in life everlasting. My friend, this isn't about rules. It's about a relationship. It's not about a religion. It's about a connection with Jesus and he will lead you and guide you one step at a time. So if you're here in this room and you say, wow, I thought this was about something else. No, it's about connecting you with your creator. One-on-one, -on -one, no intermediary, nobody in between. So he can shower on you his love, his mercy, and his grace and call you out to who he created.